the first big rock show I went to that I was like, I've got to play electric guitar was the Black Crows. And it makes a lot of sense in that way. It's like such a gospel soul, rock and roll, you know, mesh. That's Bear Reinhardt of the band Need to Breathe, who performs solo under the name Wilder Woods, talking about how he got his rootsy, uplifting sound. Bear talks about the influence of gospel music, his southern roots, and much more on this episode of Behind the Set List. Welcome to Behind the Setlist, the podcast where artists tell the stories about the songs they perform live. I'm Jay Gilbert from Label Logic. And I'm Glenn Peoples from Billboard. You know, Jay, it's not every day we have an accomplished college athlete on the podcast, but we had one with Bear <laughs> Reinhardt. Now, we didn't talk about football during the podcast, but Bear was a wide receiver at Furman University. And it goes to show how interesting a guy he is. Most people know Bear as the co-founder of the band Need to Breathe. He's also known as Wilder Woods, his pseudonym for his solo material. Under the Wilder Woods name, Bear released his second album, Fever Sky, on March 24th through Dualtone Records. As a label might suggest, his Wilder Woods music is more rootsy, more Americana, much more than need to breathe. Dualtone is the label behind the Lumineers, Shaky Graves, Brett Denon, among others. And I, I just love Americana music, so this is right in my wheelhouse. Our listeners might know Need to Breathe. They've had a lot of success over the years. The band reached number 20 on the Billboard 200 Albums chart with The Outsiders from 2009 and then had a string of three albums inside the top 10. The Reckoning from 2011 reached number 6. Rivers in the Wasteland from 2014 hit number 3. And Hard Love from 2016 peaked at number 2. Their two most recent albums, Out of Body from 2020, and Into the Mystery from 2021 also did well on the Billboard 200. And like everything from 2009's The Reckoning, reached number one on the U.S. Christian Albums chart. Need to Breathe is one of those Christian bands that you might not know as a Christian band. They play a lot of cover songs associated with the secular side of rock music like Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, The Beatles, and even some classic R&B artists like Benny King, you know, the song Stand By Me plus the great uh, Americana singer, uh, Lucinda Williams. They aren't marketed strictly to the Christian market, though, um, but they do write inspirational, uplifting, positive, easy crossover from Christian to mainstream rock. And with Wilder Woods, uh, Paris music continues to be steeped in spirituality and the human condition. So without further ado, here's Bear Reinhardt on Behind the Set List. Let it roll. Bear, thanks so much for joining us today. Before we get into the set list and some of these other things we want to talk about, I want to talk about the album that you just released about a week ago, Wilder Woods, uh, Fever, Sky. Um, it's fantastic. There's a, there's a track on there, uh, Be Yourself, that I just keep listening to over and over again. It's, it's such a great song, such a great record. Tell us about how that album came together. Yeah. Um, well, it's my second one, like you mentioned. I think being in a band for, you know, 20 years now, I guess, um, you know, the first time I did it, it was, you know, a certain level of pressure I was putting on myself to be very different than the band, you mm -hmm. know, so it was about hiring producers and players that, you know, scared me in a way, did, some, did different things than me. And I had just moved to Nashville and I made it. 
And um, I think this one's a little more settled. Uh, to me, it feels more like me. Um, feels like the songs I write, you know, not trying to chase a vibe first, chase the song first and then make the vibe after. And, and um, so I'm, I'm really proud of it. Who knows you better? Who could love you anymore? You can trust me completely. That Be Yourself song I wrote with um, Ian Fitchick and Conrad Snyder, so, who are starting to be legends in town in their own right. And and um, yeah, and, and they've been friends for a long time, so it was really natural. It's one of those rights where you go, you don't know you're writing the single at all. You know, it's it's just, I, I got this piano idea and Be Yourself, this title, and, you know, they ran with that. I think it was a half day ride even. Yeah, um, so and a lot of the stuff that we played on the, the demo were, I mean, Ian's such a good player, some of the stuff we used on the record. Um, so yeah, just a really, and it's, and like all my songs, I think, I don't think I'm writing to myself when I'm writing them, but then, you know, six months later, a year later with perspective, it's always like, Oh, I was trying to remind myself of that in some subtle way. Um, you know, every musician probably has a certain level of imposter syndrome. Um, <laughs> I certainly have a, a, a good dose of that, even though it's been 20 years. Um, and so I think that's a, a little reminder of that, which, you know, it's simple when you first start and then as you get success and things change and you grow up, it, it becomes harder and harder to just do what it is that you do. Um, and so I think that's, that's, that's what the song's about. And it's also kind of what the song is. I mean, it was a, you know, very simple melody, simple lyric that kind of, um, it seems like it's connecting so far. Yeah. Beautifully done. Thank you. What about the inspirations for, for your music? Um, you know, you're from South Carolina originally, and I think that comes through a lot in your music, but what did you grow up listening to? And is, is that filter its way through the sound you got now? It does. I mean, I think, I think the first music I was really um, exposed to was church stuff. My dad was a preacher. We had a very charismatic first church. So the, the band was awesome when I was a kid. So like when I first started playing guitar, I was 15 or 16. I mean, they, there was all kinds of great gear around. They were a well-rehearsed, very talented band. So I think that was the first thing. And, and the other part of that to me was gospel, you know, was always a part of it. Um, it always felt like you're trying to sing songs that you can lean on. You know what I mean? I feel like that's where gospel comes from. It's almost like, um, you know, the thing that you need to survive with. And I think as as I've you know grown up and got into a ton of different styles of music, I would say that's probably the thread that I still feel is important. You know, the music I, I listen to is is mostly meets me in that place. I need it. I need it to meet me. And so I think that's a common thread. And then and then everything from that was the first big rock show I went to that I was like, I've got to play electric guitar. Was the Black Crows, and it makes a lot of sense in that way. It's like such a gospel soul rock and roll, you know, mesh. Um, I got all the Joe Cocker and Ray Charles, Otis Redding, all that stuff. That felt like it was all filtered, something that I could understand a piece of it. And then also this rock and roll thing and the boogie part and all that. So, um, yeah, I think that's, you know, really the natural progression of how I got to where I am today. Um, and then the the Southern stuff was never intentional. You know, it's it, it like it's just there. It, it just is what I grew up, you know, around all this bluegrass and mountain music and stuff like that, that that stuff when it when banjos and mandolins and all that got in, involved um i mean i remember the first record we made with atlantic records they were like it's a hard rule you cannot put banjo on there you cannot this is pre-muffered <laughs> like the pre it working for someone 
it was like, that is not, you need to be more international. You cannot do any of that. It's too redneck, you know, um, which is funny to see, obviously the, the world turned after that. Yeah. Um, that's, that was all natural to us. Cause it felt like it was just, I mean, the bands that we saw were, were doing that. You know, what I love uh, about your music, well, words that I've read to describe uh, like your music and your live show are things like inspiring, uplifting, joyous, things like that. And a lot of music that is either faith-based or just, you know, uh, gospel is, is not always uh, so blatant. A lot of times it's just uplifting, positive message, powerful anthemic songs and that's really what i hear uh, when i hear a need to breathe show for example is is that i i hate using the word inspirational but it it is very inspiring and uplifting is that by design i think so i mean i think i think i love the word inspiration because to me you know that's what i feel when i go to a show regardless of what type it is you know i'm, I'm leaving there with something I'm like, oh, I've got this idea for the way to approach, you know, how small this band sounds or whatever it is, how thin, simple it is, or how, you know, the way that guy sang that lyric or, you know, and there's just so many times I feel like that's what's feeding me. That's what we would like people to leave with the show. You know, it's, and I think what's probably a, a big difference with a band really is I, I honestly consider myself a fairly dark lyric writer. <laughs> and I think kind of the, I always said, with you know, you talk about like a, a running order on a record. It was always about like we're going to have some some positive things to say here, but we're going to set it up with some pretty heavy subjects to make you you know make it believable. It was always like track one and two have to set up what the problem is for there to be an answer. But like too too often, the, where where it lost me in sort of that inspirational positive music was, oh, this is too like Hallmark movie. This felt this doesn't feel real to me. You know, it's you've got all the answers. You're, it's some sort of how teaching you something. I think that's what we try to avoid. But in the sense of like, you know, having people feel better. I mean, the idea that you could play a show and people want to be a better, you know, husband, wife, child, you know, all that. That's incredible to me. And, and, all, and you know, to be truthful, I think it would be hard to sustain uh, what we do if there was a different um, motivation for it. I think I think over the years that's what that's been like the common thread of it's like man I want people to feel great when they leave our show and we do that in a million different ways but I think that's that's ultimately like what is empowering about doing it and it kind of keeps you through the lulls of your career you know um, I think that's that's important to us. Yeah, uh, years ago I heard Glenn Phillips from Toad the Wet Sprocket say something to the effect of it's hard being happy in music because then your songs suck. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's true. It's you know, I I I think I like really try to articulate. All this. We're working on a new Need to Breathe record right now, and can't say what it's called yet or anything like that. But that this, I think the I think the job of an artist in a lot of ways is life. doesn't have to. I, I I totally disagree with this idea of like kids moving to Nashville all the time to be a songwriter. Like, should my life be terrible? You know, should I make it terrible in order? To, I'm like, life is plenty terrible. You don't have to. You don't have to invent what get that it but it is about when those things happen sitting in them long enough to try to process what it means to you and and then you know coming up with a vehicle which is what the song is to me to to express that to make people feel seen and heard 
And it's like, oh, I, I, I have this feeling, but I tried to avoid it. You know, I tried to, you know, mute it in some way. And now this artist is talking about it and I, I feel some sort of, you know, connection to it. So I think, I don't know, that's that's the, the way I at least get around in my head of like, we spend this time, we're putting songs together for an album. It's a little bit like going away into a cave and and being like, okay, now there's no mirrors in here and there's no, you know, there's not all the noise and stuff from the outside. How are we um, going to deal with, the, with, you know, the despair of the world, I guess, you know, in our relationships and all those things. And I think we just spend some time while I'm, while I'm writing a record in that place. And the goal is to come out of there, not to stay. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the, that's the, that's the thing that you see, you feel in the positivity of it. It's like, it's like everything is almost like, um, you know, I, I've said this before. It's like a lot of our stuff is a redemption story. I don't mean that in a faith way. I mean, just like, a, you know, any, any kind of redemption story. And, and those, most of what we're talking about is, is well before the redemption happens, right? It's that, it's the slog that happens before that moment. I think that's kind of where the material comes from. Amazing. I was watching a live video, a uh, live concert video of Need to Breathe uh, a while back, and I saw your pregame huddle. Um, and, and I've been around enough to see a lot of uh, artists do that. And I think it's such a, a beautiful thing. Um, tell us a little bit about what are you guys talking about there? What are you, what are, what's the message as you get together right before you hit the stage and you have the, kind of that, that last moment uh, group huddle? I think, I think, you know, we've been saying, we, we literally break it down on joy people right now, um, which is ridiculous and child. I actually, I told the band, I had this dream one night, you know, that we, that we broke it down on joy or something like that. And I was like, in my dream, it's felt so cool and inspiring. And then I told the band, they all laughed, you know? Um, but I was like, I was like, that's, that's kind of, it's hard to do. You know, it's like a show 37 and everything is going on in the day. And you've done this show a million times to remember. I think, you know, the conversation we have probably most often is like when you were 16 and you saw the first show that changed your life, that that's we're we're playing to that kid. That's, that's what we're doing, which means is as silly as we think putting ourselves out there feels at times, we're going to do it all the way, you know, because you kind of lose that as you get older. It's like, well, we're too cool to do that. We're too cool to, you know, whatever. I think, I think when I look back, I remember seeing Ben Harper one time, um, you know, fairly early on in his career, but it was like it, the way the intro was, what he was wearing, you know, the silhouette at the beginning, he put his fist. I was like everything about that just, just uh, took me somewhere. Yeah. And I'm like, that's, that's, we need to be willing to be that for people because we are, even if we don't feel it backstage, <laughs> we don't feel it at home. So I think that's probably the biggest thing is just getting everybody like motivated to be in that place. When you're sitting down with a piece of paper and the Sharpie and actually building the set list, what do you think about when you think about trying to hold people's attention and inspire them for the entire concert? And is what kind of thought process are you going through about, well, what songs are we going to play with that mission in mind? Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's maybe the hardest process in our job. Maybe it's, it takes a very long time. Um, I think my thoughts are, you know, it's an element to those first couple of songs to me that you're trying to put the audience on notice. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of thought process to that, what other bands would do. But for us, it's always been like first couple of songs need to feel like we're looking down our nose at the audience in a way. Um, make sure 
that they are going to have. We know we're going to force them to deal with us. Right. It's like we're going to force you to have an opinion about this. And those first couple of songs, you know, to me are what that's all about. And then um, and then obviously that's it's about how many peaks and valleys you want to have. But so much of our audience is wide. It's it's a broad demographic. Some people think of us as like a campfire acoustic band, something of, of arena rock anthem kind of thing. So a lot of it, I think, becomes that of like setting up those moments in the best way possible. So can you can you get to a cliff, keep the momentum where everybody feels tired in the middle of a set? You know, there's a four song. It's like it's so in your face and then bring it all the way down where they're ready for that moment of like, OK, take some a chance to breathe and like, you know, do the acoustic moment or whatever. So I think that probably is a big portion of it. And so much of what we think about is thematic with albums. So, you know, a lot of. I, I, we're really big into the tour production game and all that stuff. So, so that's always exciting to me. I mean, we're thinking a year out on tours when it comes to our big headlining tours of what, what visuals we want to have, how we're going to play that, what, how are we going to make sure we make those moments as big as, you know, even as intimate as possible, you know, we're at that level where you get into arenas, it changes from the club thing, which is all sweaty and immediate and everybody can see your face, you know, how do we now, how, now we're adding video so that, you know, so to, to have the same experience, really make people feel like they're in the second row, even if they're on the top. And that's a whole different art form in itself. And so I think um, I think that's yeah, all those things go into it in terms of the the set list. And then and then we literally break it down now by data because it's so it's so uh, there's so many songs to choose from. You know, there's a hundred and some songs we have, you know, in the catalog and obviously can't play them all. Um, so we're looking at what, obviously what are the songs that are popular in the last four or five years or making sure we get those top 10 in there. Um, I, we never want to be a band that, you know, I remember seeing the black crows years after I'd seen them that first time and being like, man, when are they going to play hard to handle? You know, it's like, you still <laughs> want to see it. If you're huge. You know, we never want to be the band. It's like, we're not playing the hits cause we don't want to, um, we exist because the audience is there and in the end. So I think that's a big part of it is making sure we do those. Is there a song that you just absolutely can't not play in a show? Is there something that you're always going to play? Yeah, I mean, probably Brother is our biggest song. You know, so I, there's going to be a version of that. That What's cool about, you know, I think the way we approach it and exciting to us, keeps us fresh, is there's not, I mean, you know, I'm looking at some of our set lists here. It's just like there's not um, not a lot of versions of the songs that we would play every time. So especially if they're big hits for us or big the big, you know, single kind of songs, you're going to get one tour, you're going to get an acoustic version of that. You're going to get a choir version of it. We're going to put some sort of rock, you know, moment in there for the band to jam in the bridge. And, and like just, you know, that makes it tough, obviously, when you go to rehearse a tour because everything is a different version. Um, but I can look at our singles and just say there's like rarely are we even playing them in the same keys, you know, based on something musically that we're trying to to do that to keep that fresh for the audience because the other thing is no matter how you know we have this really loyal fans and so and they sing every song from every record you know as loud and so i think it's it's important for them too you're trying to keep that feeling like i could go see three shows on this tour and not get tired of it yeah um so that's a big important part for, for us yeah the set list that was sent over to us um you opened with into the mystery which is a great opener 
into Sunshine, but then you, which I thought was really great in the first few songs, the third song is Let's Stay Home, which is one of my favorite Need to Breathe songs ever. It, but it's like you've got that high energy, you're you're coming out hot, and then you all of a sudden you break it down, and it works. But it's not something that I would have thought would have worked. Yeah, it's probably, I mean, there's always a, a an argument. This is happens to be an acoustic set that we're doing here. So it's a little different than the big, you know, rock arena thing, more of a theater kind of set list. Um, but I would say for us, you, that first, the first ballad that you're trying to um, showcase, you know, is always in that, I don't know, three, four hole normally. So it's, it, it's, I think that's something that like is always an argument with the band about where that goes and what's the right, there's enough momentum in those first few songs that people are like blown away by it without a stop. Um, I mean, early in our career, we would we would play an hour and a half and not I might say one thing to the audience. You know, we were like a rock band in that way. It's just like you came to hear the music. That's what you're going to get, you know. And now it's such it's so much we've just become much better performers, really, and and appreciate that part of it and how important, you know, um, a lot of times the ballad that's in there first is really about like what subject matter do we want to talk about? How do we want to set this song up? Is there a story you want to give with it? Um, to sort of invite people in after that initial, like, whoa, that was a lot of lights, flashing trash, like, you know, okay, who is this band? Um, so that song kind of plays that role. Let's talk about um, getting on a boat and going on a cruise with a bunch of other bands. You did that. Uh, Wilder Woods played the Kaimo Cruise in February. Great lineup of Americana artists. Nico Case trampled by Tweety. Shovels and Rope are some of the names that stood out to me. How many times did you play on that boat? It was it's like a week long trip, I think. And how were, what were those sets like? Do you have enough material you can really mix it up a lot? Sometimes bands, when they go on a cruise, it's like an opportunity just to really do some different set lists. But uh, for Wilder Woods, what's it like? Well, Wilder Woods is tough because I've obviously got this was a, I played it when this new record wasn't out, so we did play probably four or five of the new songs. We we're sort of showcasing and moving around. Um, and so less of a change, I would say, than when I would go on the, the, the band has done seven of those. And over the years, like every couple of years, we'll do one. And we treat it as a time to, to try out new music and see, you know, how that's going. What really more how we want to record those those songs, you know, so play them in front of people, get get a good feel like what rhythms are working, what, which ones aren't. Um, but I think we play we, on the on the need to breathe boat. We played I think we did three different sets. I think we played 55 different songs in those three. So we do it where we'll do a, a pretty high energy rock show that's, you know, taking a lot of the, the slow bits out pretty much. You play a couple ballads, the rest of it's just like pedal to pedal down. We'll do an acoustic thing, which is really seated and totally opens you up to a bunch of other types of songs you can play much looser in the sense that we want to change the set list in the middle. We can. Um, and then, you know, some hybrid of, what are the B-sides that, that I mean, not really B-sides, but more of the songs that just are not obvious that we're going to play. How many of those can we play for the true fans that are there? And, and you know, it, it, it's difficult. I'm not going to lie. It's like, it's, um it's a crazy thing to kind of go back and dig in that, especially at the level we'd like to play the stuff. I think for us, that's a, that's a big thing. And we, we live, I mean, y'all know this, we live in a time where everything's recorded that, that certainly plays a role in, how much of that changing up we're doing. Because I think early on in our career, you just didn't have that thing. And we, I would play songs without even having the lyrics done, 
you know, I just make them up in the verse. <laughs> we just kind of, you know, we just it was wild. And I would imagine it was that way a lot for bands of like, you know, you're playing the same set list song wise, and it's literally 30 to 40 minutes different in how long it took to do it. That's how much jamming and stuff we were doing in, that, in those days. And I think now we try to put moments in the shows that have that. So like I, I think of the set list in terms of blocks, basically. So we have the three or four song run, a couple of ballads, and there's another three or four song run. It's like, um, so really trying to find a couple of those blocks that are really open to the band um, and that scare us a little bit, you know, have some framework to what the jam is going to be. But for the most part, it's like, and you know how that is. When you get into arenas, it's really hard to communicate with a band like that. It's so much easier in a club. Yeah. Um, the Wilder Wood stuff, I would say, is a lot more like a club band because that's what it is right now. Um, which is really fun for me. So there's, you know, not so much as stuff is gridded out, you know, it feels like we're, we might have a click in there, but other than that, it's like, we're just going to go wild on this. And if we feel like playing this a little longer, we will. Um, so yeah, just the two different approaches, I guess. In the uh, set list that we're looking at, uh, there were a couple of cover songs. There was rag mama rag, the band, there was, I got a feeling by the Beatles and I looked up to see what some of your other covers were and things like Stand By Me, When the Levee Breaks, House of the Rising Sun. I mean, Honky Tonk Women. There's some of these just classic songs, but then there's like Joy by Lucinda Williams. Talk a little bit about how you go about choosing when you do throw in a cover now and then, because like you said, you've got this tremendous body of work, so you can't do too many uh, covers. Uh, the, the fans want to sure. hear your music, but talk about your selection process when it comes to some of these great covers. Yeah, I think, I think part of like, I, I love Joe Cocker. So there's, there's an element to that of like, okay, you know, how can we, how can we do our own version of these songs? Very rarely are these covers, you know, sounding like the originals that much. Um, you know, which never has totally got me going or the band going. And so I think 90% of the covers, I would say, come out of jamming on the, on the, one of our songs. It's like, how do these grooves kind of go together? Like, how could we play this in a different key to, to change the, and we were like the joy song we were doing with Lucinda Williams. We were doing a, basically like a, we, we actually were using the beat from Beck's loser. Yeah. Um, like a break beat kind of thing. It's like, oh, that'd be sick if we did, you know, a pretty straightforward blues song, you know, w over that. And so that's that's kind of, I think, the inspiration to it, because it's well, we've done Beastie Boys. We've done all kinds. Of, it's just like so a lot of stuff would that's like what's unexpected. What would the fans go? Oh, I can't believe they did that. You know um, what? And what's fun for the audience? And, and then and then the other elements were probably vocally like House of the Rising Sun, for whatever reason, like it feels great with my voice. It's always a great time to kind of you know, uh, pin people's ears back a little bit with the growl and all that. And, and so some songs like that end up making their way in, um, you know, stand by me, we do in three actually. So it's a, it's pretty different version of the song really, you know, I mean, it, it's still, it, I feel like people can still sing along, but it's not a version that they, you know, are used to. You know, a lot of bands we talk to, it seems like they play fewer covers as they get more material. Once you have a certain number of albums, they're thinking, well, we, we, we need to play this, we need to play that. People are expecting to hear this. And then maybe the cover songs really fade out of the set. When you got one album, you need some covers to round it out and do a, do a full set. But it, it's impressive that you're still doing covers, and a lot of them, I think, even even with this large catalog. Yeah, so much of it is, like, I mean, you know, our approach has always been people have already heard the record. They didn't come to hear it exactly like they 
hear it at home. So you're trying to do different versions of the songs, you know, your own songs that way. Um, but then it's showcasing parts of the band that maybe didn't make it on that album or that you're trying to, you know, vibes and feels that you're trying to get on that tour in particular. But then, like, you know, we sort of followed the Pearl Jam path with our fan club stuff where they get, a, a you know, unreleased live song once a month. So a big portion of what we're trying to create is this like a live audience that just doesn't know what to expect each tour um, and something that's exciting in that way. So covers to me are a great way to do that. And yeah. also I always love that when I see a band do it, you know, I, like you know, going to the Pearl Jam was like the better doing Tom Petty with him, um, you know, the hardest part or whatever. So that's like, that's, 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 yeah. I've stuff like that, you know? So um, yeah, we're just trying to, I don't know keep it fun and 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 i think there's this indie sort of rock vibe that's like don't do covers that's not you know you're not that whatever i don't think our audience is that there are audiences want to see a great live band do what they do and yeah. it's not as like judgmental on that way so yeah we, we love doing it and have fun with it uh, obviously yeah. um what song do you typically sound check with uh, do you mix that up? Uh, some oh, artists, you know, they'll they'll try new things as they're sound checking. Some like to play the exact same thing each time to get things right. What's your philosophy when it comes to uh, yeah. sound check? Yeah, it's. I mean, I think it's based on the. Uh, we always say the first three or four nights in the tour, you're kind of trying to make sure you're playing the set well enough. So there's a, there's an element to some consistency there. Um, our our sound guy forces us to play if we're up if we do a sound check, which we don't do every day, uh. honestly. I would say that the first song of the set he wants last, right? So whatever, whatever we're coming out to, he wants to hear that last. So that's part of it. But then everything else to me, when we get on there, it's a jam. We're just trying to feel comfortable. You know, it's like, and I think every room feels different. All those, all the, so the sound is all about us feeling comfortable where we can communicate. And that's ultimately the thing. If I feel like, you know, the drummer's got too much click in his ears and now we're playing program that he can't hear. If I go a different direction, we've got problems, you know, so that, that really becomes the jam is so helpful for that. And so I would say those are different. A lot of times it's blues rock, which is the easiest to jam on. So, um, you know, and then the other thing is new songs. So anytime I'm riding a lot on the road and I like to bring, I like to see what the band would do first to it. I think that's a, a really interesting thing for me. So I'll, I'll like, kind of say, oh, I got this song, here's the progression, here's the main guitar part, and just let them all fold in and see what happens. And we're tracking every show live, you know, for these insider things. And all. So we've tracked every show in the last 10 years. Um, wow. So, yeah, so, uh, and multi-track. So, um, so we'll actually do a lot of the demos, um, drum-wise and bass-wise, from Soundcheck. So if we're working on a song, we want to like get a demo going. It's much easier. This is already everything's already plugged in and tracked right. You know, we'll get a clip going and just put it down and then, you know, make the demo out of that. Bear, thanks so much for joining us. Such an honor to talk to you. Can't wait to see you out on the road. Thanks for uh, coming in and sharing a little time with us. We really appreciate it. Of course. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. <laughs>